0: Welcome to The Loki Field, where we're all about violating the minds and inner realms of our guests to talk about love, life, and geekery. Welcome to another episode of The Loki Field. Tonight, we have a very special guest joining us. So our topic will be copywriting, the art of war, and dichotomies. Hi, Bo.
1: Hey there, Amira. Uh, thank you for inviting me here. Um, I honestly am a bit wary about <laughs> my attendance here in this interview, but thank you very much. You are really one intriguing lady, so I could not pass up the chance to have this conversation with you. Um, and I would never forget you telling me that I am a Jedi. Uh, and mm. you are a Sith, right? Uh, so there's there's a level of dichotomy there uh, A dichotomy between good and evil um, So let me tell you who my favorite Jedi is You want to know?
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah um, tell us
1: Yeah, actually my favorite Jedi is uh, Mace Windu uh, Because uh, the way I see him The way that he does things as a Jedi It, it actually speaks balance um, he's a Jedi, which actually talks about his side, the, the the light side. But when you look at the way that he handles things, uh, he has a lightsaber that is violet, uh, because you know Samuel L. Jackson wanted uh, his lightsaber to be violet, and then the writers mm-hmm. actually made sure that they they had a backstory on that. So. Uh, the lightsaber of Mace Windu, M- Mace Windu is violet because it includes the colors red and blue. Blue is a Jedi color, and red is a Sith color. So it's it's a blending of both uh, dark and light. And uh, when Mace Windu fights with his lightsaber, uh, there is a sense of enjoyment in, in doing in doing that. Uh, he knows. Who he is, his identity as a Jedi, but he also acknowledges that within him is a dark side. And uh, perhaps that makes him different between the Sith and the Jedi, because the Jedi are, you know, predominantly on the light side, on the good side. Uh, they know that there is a dark side, but they do not acknowledge it so much. Mm. For the Sith, uh, they know that there is a light side uh the good side of the jedi or something like that but they are predominantly on the dark side um i guess this speaks when it comes to dichotomy that people know uh who they are when people know who they are uh, they know that within them there is a level of darkness that they they are capable of doing bad things, doing terrible things, uh, they realized that, hey, um, we're also capable of doing good things. Um, like, you know that you're happy because you have experienced sadness. Uh, you know about comedy because you have seen what tragedy is. Mm. So for Mace Windu, Mace Windu, he has actually, I guess, sort of experienced both. And then he has lived to his identity on the light side, but he acknowledges what the darkness is in his life. So yeah, for me, uh, I like the balance of that in Mace Windu. So that's probably the reason why he's my favorite Jedi.
0: Mm, I like that. And I like the contrast of duality, the yin and the yang, like yeah, uh-huh. pulling from both sides of the force.
1: Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Wait, you jumped the gun a little by jumping uh, into the geeky side. I'd uh-huh. love to know for the listeners listening right now who you are and just a little bit on who the sexy copywriter is.
1: Mm-hmm. And right. your thank origin you.
0: story, like a little bit story.
1: <laughs> Okay. Uh, thank you for calling me sexy. By the way, uh, that <laughs> that actually, uh, you know. Um, forces me to uh, make good on my physicality Uh, and because right now I'm being uh, trained by a biohacking coach a human potential coach uh, and uh, she's helping me achieve that level of physicality that that makes me healthy overall so uh, to talk about myself I I am a copywriter Uh, I help businesses get more leads and sales using Content marketing, copywriting, and social media But it really wasn't that I didn't start with that Um, Mm. Prior to becoming a copywriter uh, Back in university I took up an agriculture degree I'm an agriculturist (laughs) Yes, a licensed agriculturist Um, My thesis is on genetics and biotechnology I'll say this I'll say my thesis It's it's a mouthful. I can still remember what the title of my thesis is, but for the life of me, I do not know the nitty gritty of what it is. So the title is this: determination uh, of genetic changes in tissue culture-derived bananas Uthi- using methylation-sensitive amplification polymorphisms. So, wow, uh, that yeah, I know. Is a mouthful. <laughs> it is. It's pretty crazy, but what. What it is about is, you know, uh, all the bananas that we eat, uh, all the bananas that you buy from the grocery, they are clones. And they are slightly uh, radiated or they have radiation. So my clone wars. thesis Yeah. See? Uh, clone banana wars, right? So, uh, my thesis was to find out if there's any mutation in the process. Uh, I did find some mutations like uh, Mm -hmm. bananas having more fingers and uh, sweeter bananas, uh, longer-lasting bananas, stuff like that. Um, But I did not like to work as an agriculturist. I did not like working in a laboratory. Uh, It's a genetics lab, so we had to extract DNA. We have to use um, technologies that would... uh, see mutations and all of that Uh, people find it glamorous when you when you say that but it isn't like um, people see when when they talk about DNA and DNA testing and like that they they think they think CSI they think uh detective shows that use a lot of DNA but it's not it's really really tedious and it can get boring so I decided that I didn't want to work in an agriculture setting Um, and uh, I have training working as a call center agent or you know how Filipinos call it, call boy (laughs) (laughs) like I was talking to Americans and telling them that here is how you uh, here's how you work with your wi-fi and all that so uh, I worked in, in a call center I have worked as a Montessori school teacher I taught kids uh, from the second to the sixth grade in English, uh, science, computer subjects. Um, And after working as a Montessori school teacher, I worked in an ESL, online ESL school. I have taught English to Chinese, Japanese, and Korean students. uh, Most of them with little to no English experience. So I had to learn uh, some of their language, for example, Chinese. Um, Mm -hmm. While I was working in an office based setting, uh, we got really pissed off with the management because they were, we felt that they were not really fair with us. So uh, out of frustration, one thing that I did was I sent the words, fuck you, to a student. And uh, a week after that, I was fired. Now, the bad thing is, I was actually part of the marketing team of the ESL company. Uh, Mm -hmm. students would come to us, they would get a free lesson, and then we would pitch about the schools. Like, tell them that, hey, this is how you did in in English. Uh, I think you will learn more if you uh, enroll in our school. So that's what I did. And then I was kicked out. Uh, That was in 2017, Uh, late 2017 I decided to work as a freelancer, Um, (laughs) I decided to go into copywriting because uh, when I heard about copywriting, copywriters are some of the most highest paid uh, freelancers out there and the skills in copywriting, they transcend through every platform Works through every platform, so. Uh, I'll I'll, me, I'll tell you
0: something like about copyright. Yeah. When I first heard uh-huh. the word, I thought it was you know like those um, little tiny written stuff at the very bottom of the page that says copyright
1: 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, it's nice that you actually knew what they were. Like when I first started out, just like, oh, do we copy stuff? Like yeah. is it around plagiarism, and it's actually like a really cool world and. Who that were the first true. people you got exposed to, like learning in about copywriting. copywriting? Yeah, it's sexy. Uh,
1: yeah, I know, I know. Um, I actually got exposed to. I've been hearing about copywriting when I was still doing ESL. Uh, mm. I think I've heard about it from uh, Alan Ngo here in <laughs> here in the Philippines. Uh, you have John Pagulayan um, and a host of other copywriters out there, and then. They were mentioning books about copywriting, and there was a time that I hand copied every uh, letter from *The Boron Letters* by Gary Halbert.
0: Ah, yeah, yeah. I started that way too.
1: Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, it's like when you hand copy these these uh, letters, it's like you're writing it inside your brain. It's mm. like you're recording it right inside your mind. So, it did help out a lot and uh, it is very uncomfortable writing it down so it puts you, uh, it makes you get used to being, to having discomfort. Mm-hmm. So
0: Prior to this, that, were you a good writer? Like, just for the people listening, like, a oh, lot yeah. of people right now want to learn, huh? like, copywriting, how to write in a really sexy uh, way. And sometimes they're not really good, you know, at school. Oh, yeah. it's, it's very different and how do you what do you tell those people Like,
1: oh yeah uh, copywriting. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm really good at writing uh, even before I was a copywriter but uh, back in high school I was part of a school paper uh, mm. I handled the science and technology page because it's a science school uh, we, I write stuff um, for our church newsletter as well so I do have some writing uh, experience in me. And mm-hmm. uh, also, that—that that is my goal. I wanted to be a very good writer. That's also the reason why I decided to become a cop- copywriter. Now, mm-hmm. um, the way I see it, copywriting is hypnosis in print. <laughs> I
0: absolutely agree. Yeah.
1: I, I, and yeah, you do agree on that. Um, You and I probably have a good idea how hypnosis works, where uh, there's this formula, ABS. You uh, absorb their attention, you bypass their critical factor, and then you stimulate them to do something about what you've written. It's it's pretty similar to what a copywriter does, because Mm -hmm. when you read what a copywriter has written, it's like you're also being hypnotized and uh, you want to buy or do something that the copywriter wants. Um, when you do hypnosis it's more of a one-on-one thing unless a group of people are listening to it but when you do copywriting you can potentially hypnotize thousands even millions of people who have read what you have written. Mm. So.
0: Yeah. And unlike school, like it's not like Shakespeare. You don't have to be Shakespeare or Charles. Oh David yeah, yeah, or, like, yeah. That's really true. deep intellectual, like with poetic, flowery uh-huh. words. It's about getting them to take action. Sometimes it's very simple, sometimes like a two-liner it is. thing.
1: It and- is, it is. Well, uh, I've I've heard from one of my mentors this line. When you are writing copy, um, if you can use one a one dollar word to mm-hmm. sell effectively why use a $10 word right so uh but of course you have to be mindful of uh the audience who is reading your copy
0: mm. it's all about being relatable um yeah True through
1: that. True that learning
0: psychology helps with copywriting
1: very much very much um newbie copywriters they don't realize it because when newbie copywriters i mean that was me when i started in 2017 it's like <laughs> i started with learning formulas right yeah. uh in copywriting you have your, yeah and <laughs> uh, you have your P-A-S-A-I-D-A, pas aida yes. paisa and all of that i started learning that but then i realized that you know Uh, To become a better copywriter, you have Mm. to understand who you are writing for. Kind of Mm -hmm. like in The Art of War. Uh, I'm guessing you are familiar with that as well, right?
0: Yeah, and you're actually writing a book where copywriting meets The Art of War. I want to hear about that. Like, tell us that side of things.
1: Okay, okay. Um, You know, um, copywriters... Uh, from, from the greats to those who are beginning, who are practitioners in it, uh, they try to put their own angle on the way that they do copywriting. But when you look at copywriting, it just involves five main processes. Uh, the first mm-hmm. one is to, to create a goal, uh, set up a benchmark to see what kind of resources you have. The next one is to do market research to check on your competition, your target market, your market. Um, The third one is to create a message. The fourth one is to publish it. And the last one is to check uh, the results of your copy. So just those five things. But in my case, I injected the art of war because the art of war actually teaches a lot of things when it comes to um, winning a battle, and uh, the way I see it, doing copywriting, it, it's also taking a battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're not only fighting to get uh, the customer's attention or the prospect's attention. You're actually fighting so that you can connect to them. You get mm-hmm. to be on their level. You win their hearts. And uh, there is the saying in the art of war. I mean, it, I don't know if this is the exact saying. Uh, it goes like this if you know your enemy and if you know yourself you need not fear the results of 100 battles it's the same thing on copywriting so it starts with knowing yourself and knowing who your market is so if you know yourself and if you know your market you need not worry about the results of 100 campaigns something like that and Mm. this is this is sort of a different spin when it comes to uh copywriting i think no one has actually used this spin when it comes to copywriting Um, and um, I guess I'm also attempting something very very uh, different. Um, Most of the copywriting books out there are like manuals, nonfiction, (laughs) right? So uh, they teach you about uh, certain formulas, they teach you about a process, they give you a checklist, they give you uh, high-value concepts, but nobody has actually done a novel about copywriting, so... In that one is way,
0: intriguing! Like, how? Like, purely In fictional? a way... Oh, I'd love oh, to know, like, without the really story, it. just like... Okay. Uh,
1: uh, I I actually thought about Copywriting in the Art of War because I watched this History Channel documentary about Copywriting. Uh, I'm sorry, the art of war. Uh, and um, there was a part there that showed a Vietnamese general during the Vietnam War. His name is Vo Muyen Giap. Uh, uh, and what he did was he won over the Americans by actually using uh, the Terran of his country, knowing the people. And then understanding the psychology of the Americans and his Ah. countrymen Uh, As opposed to Americans um, What he did, what the Americans did was what what they called a war of attrition So what it's like a chess battle So we have our, our pieces, we have our equipment, we have a firepower and manpower to fight people But they didn't win because uh, the Vietnamese, led by General Vo Nguyen Giap, they actually understood how to enclose the enemy, even with the limited resources that they have. So they fought like that uh, ancient board game called Go. You Mm. have your black pieces and your white pieces, and the objective of the game is to surround your enemy give them no space to uh, go out, uh, remove their supply lines. That's how Vo Nguyen-Jap won against the Americans. And another thing, he also played into the psychology of the Americans. You see, during the Vietnam War, the Americans recently won the Second World War. So Mm -hmm. they have a, a level of confidence they they saw themselves as protectors, but the Vietnamese they tried to see the psyche of the American people and they played into that. So mm-hmm. that even, is interesting. That is interesting. T- true. And uh, even if the Americans had the best technology, the best firepower, the Vietnamese actually got over them. So the Americans never won the Vietnam War. They had to leave uh, Vietnam. And so what happened was Ho Chi Minh, the leader of uh, people in North Vietnam, the communist forces there, they actually took over the whole country of Vietnam. So they did not do it with superior firepower or technology. They did it by understanding people. They did it by understanding the art of war, so that started in me an idea that hey, how can I use this to uh, include in copywriting, right? Mm. So, the the novel that I'm actually finishing right now, writing and finishing, is is more on a philosophical aspect of copywriting Mm. because
0: because. (laughs)
1: Yeah, because, you know, copywriting, uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, the copywriting mar- masters, and, and I would agree with them, copywriting is a way to sell, a way to uh, sell a product by using the psychology of uh, your target market. Now, uh, for me, the way I see it, copywriting is a way to connect yourself with your audience so that you can provide value with them. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, your vehicle for doing that is the art of war. Um, you prepare yourself in battle so that you can win and capture hearts. So that's why it's copywriting and the art of war.
0: And the defenses that we naturally have like defense mechanisms, being resistant to every other like the amount of uh... know like ads we get bombarded with on a day-to-day basis and just Uh it's almost a battle so yes as a marketer you you have to navigate around that and that
1: is true that is true
0: playing into philosophy and principles and like how to think like a copywriter how to think like a seducer how to think like a tactician is a very different ball game Uh if you start with mindset first before going into the nitty-gritty of the manuals of the formulas like i loved i loved the formulas but i only appreciated the formulas after i learned and appreciated the philosophy so i like what you're doing and i like the storytelling aspect of it like the emotional hook point of incorporating story into something like copywriting
1: yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm actually surprised why it went in that direction. I just realized that, you know, people haven't actually had uh, a story told to them teaching them a skill. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the closest was a book called The Go-Giver. Uh, I think it was written by Bob Burge. Um, it's one of the mindsets that we use as freelancers. One of which is that we don't get paid by the hours that we work, but by the value that we produce. So I thought about that uh, book slash novel, and I wanted to incorporate that in copywriting. Because, you know, people are into story. And as people who have, uh, like, people like you and me who have an idea how hypnosis works, Mm -hmm. stories are really, really hypnotic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, with regards to stories that teach you skills, I think it was um, for me the greatest salesman in the world by Og Mandino. Just oh yeah, it's a very simple book, but it just is so powerful. Like when you like listen to it, and then the teaching tale that it just the way it talks about sales, it just starts to get downloaded to your psyche because it's so oh, yeah. memorable. And doing that for more technical skills is brilliant so really cool on that
1: that is true that is true so uh that is that is the reason why i wanted this in story and um i think i haven't mentioned to you why i went into another reason why i went into copywriting uh the way i see it copywriting teaches you to be very persuasive uh it teaches you to Give out a viewpoint and convince people to follow it, and that is something that I wanted to learn because mm-hmm. uh, I wanted uh, what I really want. My end game in, in doing freelancing and helping clients and all that is for me to become a novelist. So <clears throat> this book uh, touches on three She's points. Both Yeah. So it. It helps me get clients because this is what we call a lead magnet. It shows my capability as a copywriter uh, by writing a book. Uh, Number two, I get paid one way or another. And, you know, it builds up my positioning as a copywriter. And finally, it's my baptism of fire when it comes to writing a novel. So for me, that is really something that I wanted to do for the longest time. I've wanted to become novelist for for more than a, a novelist for more than a decade. And um, is it okay if I share to you one quote that I've been looking at for, for years and years?
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear that.
1: Uh, this is actually a paraphrase of uh, what Picasso said about art. So, all I did was just um, replace the word "arc" with "fiction." So I'm I'm going to uh, read it to you. It goes like this: We all know that fiction is not truth. Fiction is a lie that makes us realize truth, at least the truth that is given to us, given us to understand. The writer must know the manner whereby to convince others of the truthfulness of his lie. So, the way I see it, fiction. Uh, aside from the story itself, fiction tells universal human truths and uh, when you tell that in a very compelling way through story, you actually touch and change lives. You make a difference on people that you have you don't know um, and uh, it, it somehow gives you a level of immortality. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you know, even after you have passed away from this mortal coil, uh, people will be reading your book uh, in, by generations and they'll be remembering what you have said. Um, uh, do you know who Franz Kafka is? I do not. Okay, uh, Franz Kafka is is a novelist who wrote, uh, he's, he's a fiction writer who wrote Metamorphosis. Uh, he did not want his writing to be sent out. But uh, one of his friends had his novels pub had his work published, and so people are familiar with the names Gregor Samsa. Uh, when he woke up, and then he noticed that instead of being a human, he became like a giant insect, and then it was absurd, and existentialist, maybe even nihilistic to the extreme, but kafka even if he wanted obscurity even if he wanted to be forgotten he has been immortalized by the writing that he has done because people are reading about him so maybe in a way that is something that i want to achieve on myself
0: how about in terms of the people you impact so like what is your vision and what are you working towards is it more on the immortalization after you pass away or is it like just reaching more people and teaching them how to do copywriting? Or is it more of the philosophy?
1: Well, uh, maybe it's it's more on reaching out to people and, you know, making a difference in their lives. Because, you know, I grew up where, uh, I grew up in, in an evangelical Christian uh, environment. And then your dad would be always praying that, uh, that your kids will be growing up in stature and wisdom making a positive difference in the lives of people so Mm. yeah probably in that way you make an impact by the truth that you write you change the way that they live by the truth that you write so yeah maybe at this moment uh, my novel about copywriting will be teaching people copywriting in, in the form of a novel maybe in the future that will be a start for me to teach other people you know, ways of thinking and philosophy. Uh, right now, aside from the kind of faith that I have as a Christian, I'm also really interested in existentialism and stoicism. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm actually, uh, I actually have uh, uh, another novel in the waiting uh, to talk that talks about existentialism. So, like
0: Marcus Aurelius, or like oh,
1: uh, when you talk about existentialism. Existentialism, uh, it's uh, really abstract, uh, no, uh, like Friedrich Nietzsche, Jean Paul wow. Sartre, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, right? Uh, the, the core of existentialism is this: uh, you are human, you have a choice, right? And then, uh, you are placed in a world where uh, the best way for you to live is to live your choice, so that's basically the core of existentialism, root word, existence.
0: Mm. And then tying it into stoicism.
1: Yeah, some somewhere along those lines.
0: In the form of story, like storytelling?
1: In the form, yes. Story. Story. Mm. Story is really, really powerful. You and I both know that. I mean, uh, you and I both like uh, the Star Wars uh, trilogies, uh, stories on that. Um, you watch anime. We are all enthralled with story,
0: and that's one of the reasons I started this podcast. Like, I love origin stories, and I love oh yeah learning why people are the way they are. And true, yeah, just this is a crazy conversation. So, in terms of like, for example, your lead magnet or this book uh-huh. that is supposed to be just some way for people to know who you are, it's also on top of that. It's also a way to start people's heroes' journeys. So you you don't outwardly say that, but any piece of work, whether it's art, whether it's like uh, literature, whether it's something that makes you think long and hard is an invitation to go on your hero's journey. You know, like maybe I want to be a copywriter. And like some of it will be, you know, people are just curious and they'll take it as a challenge. Like for me, I remember the first book that really started me on my hero's journey was actually um, by Paulo Coelho, The Alchemist. It has nothing oh, yeah. to do with what I do right now, but uh-huh. just that question and that emotion that it moved in me, it was so powerful that it just started to make me ask questions and started to make me search and started to make me get clear on what I wanted to do, who I wanted to reach and just following my path,
1: my dream.
0: So was there a book in your world that started all in fiction?
1: So So. so yeah, uh, basically, uh, the alchemist uh, sort of changed your life in a way, right?
0: Absolutely. It was forced. Like our teacher made us read it and I was just like, (laughs) oh, and then
1: I was like, I just want to get over this. But then you you find yourself drawn to the story. You find yourself wanting to know more how it ends and how things would work out for the protagonist so i would understand
0: thinking process like the before and after like the journey that the protagonist goes on you also Uh go on that same journey without actually Uh having to battle dragons
1: and (laughs) and venture
0: out of your realm and that's what i love about stories so is there anything like a book or movie that did that for you
1: oh yeah um For me, you know, uh, I did say that I grew up in a Christian household. We'd have to read the Bible and all that. That's just part of it. But the book that really changed my life to want to become uh, a writer, a fiction writer, was uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's uh, novel, uh, 100 Years of Solitude. Um, I don't know if you have heard about this novel, but in this novel, uh, this novel... uh, is in a literary genre of magic realism. So magic uh, it's realism. like yes, magic realism. It's it. They live in in a very ordinary setting, and then something supernatural happens. Like um, uh, a girl suddenly is lifted off the ground by butterflies. Um, everyone in town becomes an amnesiac, mm. and then. You have a gypsy who has gained immortality. right? I like the way that he wrote that. And Gabriel Garcia Marquez, he, he actually uh, got a Nobel Prize because of that no, uh, novel. And wow. it made me realize that when you are writing uh, a story, you, you become part of the story itself. When you are, I'm sorry, when you are reading the story, you also become part of the story itself you become mm. the hero of that journey itself. When you live the lives through what you have read, uh, you call it a vicarious experience. You know? So you experience them flying, you experience them traveling through mountains, you experience their loves, their lusts, their lives and every aspect of, of how they live. So for me, that changed my life and say, hey, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to write something like this. I'm going to write something that when people read it, uh, they become part of the story.
0: Uh, Mm. It's not
1: just the protagonist in the story that uh, ventures into a hero's journey, but it's also the reader.
0: Absolutely. I love how you phrase that. Like, it's so true. And. We don't realize that, you know, we don't realize why we like stories so much. Like why we like, you know, Marvel or DC or all of these like crazy narratives and stories. Like it's crazy to be able to learn so much in like even just reading a book and then you learn like oh, yeah. the depths of uh, human greed without having to go through that yourself. And it's really deep. Like um, another thing that really influenced me is Lord of the Rings.
1: <laughs> oh i love those and, books if, yeah, I love if that
0: frodo book. is able to go to mordor and you know get the ring there i'm sure we can get people to buy a single copy of the book we're trying to sell or just you know like the campaign like it's just that reframe or that perspective shift or just yes. that play on thinking is something i really love about books and storytelling
1: that's right and When you you actually use story You incorporate it in Doing copywriting You're actually making the reader The hero You make them feel Their needs so that they can take on Their heroic journey from uh, Mm. Departure Initiation to their Return They have the hero's journey when they Read your copy And in the end uh, they will actually Thank you for selling them so that that's one very lofty goal of the copywriter. Uh, they make their readers the hero in their own stories.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when we come against like confrontation, like in the hero's journey, it's normal to come against your dragon and you True. are scared to go into that cave. But it's mm-hmm. the copywriter's job to make the cave sexy enough <laughs> for sure. the hero. Want to go into that cave because inside that cave is the treasure which they seek. I <laughs> but totally they don't have agree. enough they don't have enough motivation or just the fear is overwhelming. And as a copywriter, your job is to make them go to that cave and be like, hey, everything you want is in yeah. there. And just even the up leveling and your growth. So
1: Agreed, agreed. And um that is what I enjoy as a copywriter. You you write something that changes lives. It's not just the mere act of selling. It's the act of creating a story that changes lives.
0: Mm. So what are like the top five books for copywriting for anyone who wants to start and they don't have access yet to your book that oh, yeah. put the basis?
1: Um for me uh you can you can start with uh the boron letters by gary halbert uh you have your no bs series uh you have your dan kennedy books i'm not i haven't actually memorized those books uh uh the titles of those books rather um but the series the series yeah the series itself Um. and um you read, uh, I got it. I actually got into um, reading sales letters and then hand copying them. Mm. It's like you, you understand them at a very subconscious level when you hand copy them. Um, also, it starts, I guess, with mindset because when people start out copywriting, they just want to know the technique they don't actually try to understand the higher principles of it. So you, you start with your mindset and um, when, you, when you work through that mindset, it helps you uh, learn more and you know that the tactics and the strategies become richer. So mm-hmm. yeah, while I would suggest um, books like the Boron Letters, the No BS series... Uh, I would also suggest high-level philosophy, philosophical and strategy books like uh, Ryan Holiday's uh, Stoic Thrilogy, Trilogy. Uh, you have The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, Stillness is the Key, and I think you're gonna like this, all the books of Robert Greene. So mm. you have your 48 Laws of Power, 33 Tree, Strategy, War, The Art of Seduction. We both love that book. Uh,
0: <laughs> I love Robert Greene.
1: Yes, uh, 50th Law, uh, Mastery, and I think his latest is The Loss of Human Nature. So all those books, they tie in with, with copywriting, and uh, they make the, the study and the craft and art of copywriting richer uh, mm-hmm. in experience. Um you can actually just google books online about the best copywriting book but for me I divert towards something more philosophical when it comes to copywriting so that's the reason I mentioned those books.
0: Yeah, I really like that. Like I like for example Eugene Eugene Schwartz like I never oh, say his yes. name right. <laughs> but it's Eugene really Schwartz yeah, it's really hard directing people to these like copywriting books because it's a lot of like techniques and tactics. When it it's like someone's going to teach you copywriting in a very different way than how Dan Kennedy would. And yeah. it's important for you to get the fundamentals right, like get the mindset right of like psychology, mm-hmm. like what you mentioned, like the art of war or just even marketing, like um, uh, all marketers are liars or what was that yeah. book I got in? Just playing with psychology more and then yes. whatever writing you like, like if you like Dan Kennedy stuff, handwrite it like what you were saying. Like born letters is a must for everyone just because it of is, it is. the way it's structured. And yeah, just if you want to learn copywriting, start with getting interested in good copy. Yeah. Writing it down when you see good copy and yeah getting interested in psychology philosophy the mind and understanding things
1: so that is true um and here's the thing that here's another thing that newbie copywriters do not realize is that copywriting is intertwined with every aspect of marketing so Mm -hmm. you would need to understand how marketing works you need to understand how business works because if you just start with formulas I mean, when I was starting in, in copywriting, I actually saw uh, an article that listed every formula <laughs> that a copywriter can use. And I was like, hey, jackpot, I'm going to use this. Oh I'm going to and all of that. But then I realized that, okay, there's really something missing in, in this. And then you realize that copywriting is so much deeper. You mm-hmm. actually need to go and understand as much as possible how, how a business works, how uh, psychology works, which is really a, an intense and huge part of copywriting and marketing. And mm. you also need to know uh, how to use the platforms out there. You just need an idea on, on how to use. So um, for me, I learned copywriting autodidactically by myself. What like, what
0: does that word mean? What it means by yourself. Autodidact. Okay, yeah.
1: Autodidact. Uh auto meaning self, didact is to learn. So, ah. I I'm, I'm a self-learned copywriting. I did not go to marketing school. I I never got into like a formal classroom setting of copywriting, but yes, I do have mentors uh, in terms of copywriting. Uh, one of my mentors is one of the best copywriters in the Philippines He's pretty low-key in the community But he has actually mm-hmm. helped um, uh, Like Leish Aquino uh, John Pagulayan Alan Mo, mm-hmm. uh Bo Sanchez John Orana uh, His name is Miguel Campaner
0: uh, I know him, yeah
1: Yes, you the do secret know him
0: copywriter
1: <laughs> Yes, yes He's really great when it comes to what we call a product launch formula copywriting. So, for example, if you are selling an online course or an online product, he, he actually creates and plans every content that you have to write for your emails, your script, your sales page, and everything else in between so that after you go through that product launch, you'll be gaining so much more. Uh, mm. And he did help me map out uh, the product launch of Social Media Academy, in which I am uh, a part when it comes to writing content. Mm. So, nice. it is.
0: Yeah, and when it comes to psychology, so like with, with newbie copywriters, like everything we're saying might sound a little abstract to most.
1: But yeah. for example,
0: when you're a copywriter, you write for other people. So imagine true. that. <laughs> imagine true. writing for someone else and if you only go by the formula, you're going to sound like every other copywriter true. on the planet. And then you have to write for someone else. So you have to know their voice better than they know themselves,
1: yeah, which is going to be so hard. Yeah, that is true. So, so in a manner of speaking, um, copywriters are like chameleons. Mm. They, they, they have to adapt to the voice, the tonality, and the style of who you are writing for. And um, yeah, I guess you realize that you are not writing for yourself. So (laughs) there's a level of disconnect, like, oh, uh, it should be me that I'm writing for. Yeah,
0: it's not your own voice. It's not whether you are it or not.
1: It's not your own voice. So um, in one way, it's a good thing because you actually understand not only the psychology or the way of thinking of your target market you also mm. get to understand uh, the psychology and the depth of who you are writing for. you become them.
0: This in, is a masterclass class in, in and of itself Bo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, m- might I add okay you know newbie copywriters you see right through them uh, their writing you just realize mm. hey this person is using a formula <laughs> but good copywriting it's it's just it's like, uh, I guess I can equate it to like a good uh, session with a conversational hypnotist. Mm. You know, it's like it's it's invisible until you realize that you wanted to buy what the copywriter is selling.
0: Yeah, and like a chameleon, your ability to adapt and say that things better true. than people can say themselves. Like, wow, I didn't know I wanted to say this.
1: I know. <laughs>
0: that's your job as a copywriter to make them look good. So when I copyright for other people, my voice is very different. And when I write for myself, like the grammar, <laughs> like the grammar is horribly wrong, but that's intentional. Like it really yeah. depends on the psychology and what you're trying to do. So you can convey a lot of different emotions like uh, playfulness, vulnerability, uh, non-gurueness in your writing. Uh-huh,
1: uh-huh. And I guess one more thing that I'd, I'd like to add, you did say that on purpose, you try to uh, make it wrong grammar or something uh, yeah, in, in, like when, human. yeah what it does is actually capture attention. One must realize that, that in our world right now I mean especially with with websites and, and social media, you, what you're doing is effectively capturing their attention. Now uh, attention the way I see it right now it's a currency. You know, no. it's, it's also a limited resource because people cannot focus their attention on everything. So as a copywriter, that is one thing that you have to learn how to capture their attention and how to put them into that slippery slide that is your copy. So mm. that when they finish reading it, it's like, okay, I'm going to buy this thing <laughs> and I'm going to do what the writer just wanted me to do.
0: Yeah, and it's enjoyable for them. Like, your ability to activate pleasure through words. Oh, like That's I the like reason that. I call copywriters sexy. And you do it really well. Like, um, you're one of the few copywriters. Like, I know a lot of copywriters. But you're one of the few copywriters who, like, has this poetic artisticness almost in your words. And I oh. love that about you. Like, the abstractness. Like, it's almost whimsical in a way like just the flavor of how you write how you describe things and just um poetic almost and i like seeing the different the different personalities and people and um just copywriting shows that allows that
1: well thank you for that amira and and actually um one of the people uh i know actually told me that you know what uh and I'll use his own words, right? I don't want to sound that, that I'm like, you know, in Tagalog, ng sariling bangko. It's uh, what he said. What you know, eloquence is your DNA. So it
0: is, it is, it is.
1: I, I'm going to lean into that. I I learned this way of writing in the kind of voice that I, that I use because I love reading. I love writing. Deep in my heart, I know that I can use the words that I create to uh, touch lives and make a difference in people. So as much as possible, I learn how to write in a way that is uh, having rhythm, having mm. music, uh, having a certain sense of flavor in them. And um, I guess this is also influenced by you know our training in hypnosis and, and NLP. I use, you know, the VAK, Visual Mm. Auditory Kinesthetic Words. I also have some materials here and resources that help me try to write things so that when people read them, they actually feel it. They Mm. actually get into it, not just go into the copy and buy.
0: But it's also because you're a deep person. Like your ability to feel things and then being able to transmit that to another person in the audience is a skill and a superpower in and of itself
1: well so, thank you uh thank you for one your the confidence
0: It's one of the reasons i've been trying to get you into like seduction and pickup but that's oh
1: yeah that's well, like you a know, hidden realm well, well you know seduction and pickup they they do have their place in copywriting because mm-hmm. you know when you read through the copied copy, you're actually seducing their hearts to follow what you want them to do. So maybe we can say, copywriting is seduction in print.
0: Hmm. Nice. Yeah, and it's a sexy. It's a sexy. It's a sexy field. Sexy profession. It's a sexy talent to have, and it makes money. Like.
1: Oh yeah, uh, you know it makes that
0: crazy money.
1: It does make crazy money. Um, I mean, like uh, for me, uh, I, I mean, I'm pretty much on the low end here. Uh, I do get gigs that pay me a thousand to two thousand dollars per gig. So for me, it's okay. But you know, the best copywriters they get tens of thousands.
0: Dude, dude, I'm. Not I'm j- I'm gonna be talking to this guy, like the seven hundred million dollar copywriter, like two weeks from oh, now. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> that I would want to hear that because it's crazy,
0: it's, like the amount of money you can make in this realm.
1: True. I mean, it's not just the upfront payment that you get. You can actually get it in commissions, in retainer fees. That's the reason why I went. That's another reason why I want to uh, proceed in copywriting because it gives you so much it gives you um the ability to use your creativity and it gives you uh a way to earn and live a lifestyle that you want to live
0: Mm, it gives you a sandbox to play in like the the, you can like split test different copies and see like oh my god people respond to this why do they respond to this and like you get into the nitty-gritty of like breaking down your own copy, breaking down a copy that works, and just breaking down like what people are willing to pay for. And you learn a lot, Like especially if you're geeky about psychology. This is like a dream mm-hmm. job. True,
1: true. It's and all the
0: data uh, analytics.
1: Yes. Uh, it, it's it's, it's uh, all in all. You You do creativity. You learn how to analyze things. You also learn how to become really persuasive. Uh, to a mass of audience.
0: Hmm. Yeah, if you're not persuasive, you're not gonna make it.
1: I know. It's 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 a (laughs) long road, but it does it does make sense.
0: Get persuasive or get out. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's not for the faint of heart. And to be persuasive, you don't need Naman like to be like super amazing, super cool. You just need curiosity. Like get inquisitive and ask questions, do things like earlier you had training Mm -hmm. and people had access to you on that training. And one of the things whoever like your star student could have been would have been the person who asked the most questions and who Mm -hmm. wants that. You know like you don't even need skill like you just have to want it enough and go down the path and just Mm -hmm. It will reveal itself. Like if you want persuasive, like if you want to download the skill of persuasion, want it enough, and it's gonna come to you. Like it can be learned, it can be developed.
1: Yeah, you mean like an, a level of intent?
0: Yeah, right? yeah, intent.
1: So similar to H plus hypnotic intent.
0: Mm. And it, it ties back to what you were saying on philosophy and mindset and just starting with character starting with the person who's writing the copy and then going from there because after that it's easy it becomes easy and then you just learn like marketing branding and how to
1: oh yeah
0: differentiate yourself from everyone else
1: that is true that is true and uh you know maybe in one way because we live in uh, we work in this circle of marketers Mm. You have people who talk about Ryan Dice, Gary Vee, uh, here in the Philippines you have Nick Saniego, Melissa Profeta, John Pagolayan, uh, Miguel Campaner, and every everyone in between. In, in that circle, uh, people know about copywriting, people know how this works, but we're not in the mainstream. Um, so I guess in a way, me, uh, writing about copyright writing, uh, me learning about it and me writing a novel. I want to make copywriting sort of a household name. It's like, oh, I want to learn about copywriting because I read this novel from this this guy, right? You change, mm. you change things. Um, and then um, there's here's what John Pagulayan says. I think you did interview him. Uh, mm. He says that he wants to. Uh, he wants people to see that when they hear the word freelancer, it is uh, the level of respect is at par with doctors, mm. lawyers, professionals, or, or something like that. I want, I guess, I want copywriting to be seen as something like that, as as a skill that is respected, not just you know. Uh, it's a, a mystical part, art the, right
0: now. Like people, people think of it like. Ah, oh, copywriter! Yeah. It's some elusive, mystical. I know, I know,
1: I know. And you're either you know, born
0: with it or you're not. Like,
1: tell yeah. me this. And, and like you said, and like you said earlier, that when you first thought about copywriting, you you were thinking about copyright. Yes. I mean, I have God, talked yeah. to people and, and and telling them that. Uh, I'm a copywriter. Um, I'm a copywriter and then they say, ah, uh, you, you know how to get the ISBN of the book, <laughs> uh, you, you know how to, to do the copyright of the book. And I, because, you know, you're talking to them in a respectful tone, you'll just say, oh yeah, sure, that, that's what I do. So, yeah. it's, it's hard explaining
0: copywriting like, to non-copywriters or people who think that that's copywriting. It's like, no. Like earlier, I was explaining copywriting to um, a friend. And even though, like, you explained a lot to certain people, some people just they still stare at you blankly and they're like, So, how is copywriting different? Like, it's it, it's it's just a uh, something that's not yet relatable to everyone.
1: And uh, that is I true. really, that is yeah, true. I
0: really want it to be something that you don't have to explain, it's not um, some mystical secret from the Himalayas.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, I know, because you know. Uh, people really, people really have no. I mean, I can I can explain to them, you know, copyright, persuasion and in print, hypnosis. but
0: they're like the what persuasion and print. Yeah, like,
1: you you have to go deeper, and even if you try to go deeper, they'll be shaking their heads and scratching And they try their to egg. they
0: try to they try to add it to marketing or advertising. They're like, you oh mean God. like an advertiser or a marketer, and like. It, it can be. so much
1: more. It's so much more than that. Yeah. But it's its
0: own thing. It's, it's not necessarily connected. So
1: that is true. It's a new
0: thing. And yeah, I'd like to see that world and I'd like to see that vision realized. So really I interesting agree. topic and we went really deep.
1: Oh, yeah. So just,
0: just to wrap up. And before we wrap up, I ask every uh-huh. single guest who pops on three questions. Uh-huh. So question number one is in a perfect reality in a perfect world what would that look like? Who would you be impacting and just where would you be in the world?
1: Okay um the thing about you know that we do we don't have a perfect world and and uh I like it because you know there there's in imperfection there is a level of variety but when you are living in a perfect world uh it, it Reminds me of what Friedrich Nietzsche says about eternal return. It's like you do everything again and again the same day, <laughs> mm. uh, like like uh okay, uh, you did everything perfectly today, tomorrow, you're gonna do that again uh, um. <laughs> so uh while while everyone wants to live that perfect existence, like oh, no more pain, no more hunger, mm. no more uh no more things that are evil and all that. Uh, for me, the one thing that I find in danger with, with talking about the perfect world is that I don't want that eternal return. I don't want to be doing the same thing again and again. Because uh, at the heart of humanity, we, we try to look for things that are different, right? We try to grow. That That's, that's the reason why you have the hero's journey, right? Because, you know... Uh, the hero is put into a situation Where uh, he he goes from the comfortable To the uncomfortable And then he comes back Change There is mm. always change Whether we like it or not It is in the psyche of the human being To look and yearn for change So uh, if you're asking me what's, what's a perfect day like Or what. What what's a perfect day for me like? It's just me doing what I'm doing, but mm. it's also me experiencing a change in myself, growing. Um, maybe you don't have maybe you don't have that right now because uh, life uh, and humanity we are fraught with uncertainty. But mm. I cannot, for the life of me, imagine what a perfect day is like. So, so I guess that's how I'd probably answer it. Answer that.
0: Well, on a side note, on this tangent, like, if you could, uh, yeah, if if it was possible, do you think like there would be growth in perfection or you know removing that pain or removing those emotions or those painful struggles that made you you like, for example, being a copywriter early on just being awesome and amazing, or do you appreciate your journey in the in its entirety?
1: Well, I do appreciate my journey in its entirety. I mean, uh, no, no journey to success is a straight line. Uh, you you have your your uh, highs and lows, and higher highs and lower lows. You get to experience everything, uh, but it doesn't actually lead to perfection. Perfection, by its definition, is like you don't need anything anymore. Uh, you're perfect, right? But mm. What I'm aiming at is for excellence, Uh, excellence in in doing what I do as a copywriter, excellence in reaching out to to people, uh, having the clarity to do what needs to be done. Uh, It it might look like perfection, but you know, in this world, there's no such thing as perfection.
0: Mm. And in that imperfection is the perfection.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, A dichotomy. Maybe you can say uh, that you're imperfectly perfect, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, imperfection actually makes us human. Uh, And um, if you're perfect, it it reminds me of uh, the concept of uncanny valley, right? You know how like when you look at the... 3d film and uh you they look like humans they act like humans but you know that in their perfection they are not humans mm. right because they look too perfect there are no flaws when you are human there there would always be a level of flaws uh like your models they look amazing uh, victoria's secret models they look perfect uh they when they when they wear their lingerie, they they do look amazing and sexy, but when you scrutinize them, they are imperfect. Mm. And uh, I I guess for me, uh, it's not really celebrating the imperfection, but being aware of it and being thankful that you can rise above your imperfection to a level of excellence and probably near perfection.
0: Mm. A lot of us dream of this utopian world of like yeah. (laughs) there was no struggle, pain, heartbreak. Yeah. For anyone who's listening right now, like we're going through some really tough times with like COVID, with lockdown Uh and yeah, sometimes we wish things were different, but also to realize that wherever you are right now is beautiful in its own way and you might not realize it right now, but years in the future, you're going to be like, oh, that made
1: me there's this there's this line from one of the songs that i've been listening to uh from the band switchfoot it goes like this we are bruised and broken masterpieces and uh that that in itself is something because you know uh in a world of imperfection it's hard to see the beauty in uh the beauty in in the pain right um but but in the end when you realize that that uh, it's a push and a pull, that even the flaws would actually accentuate your beauty. You become more appreciative of it. And you know, you, you said something about utopia. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the term utopia uh, in Latin, it literally means no place. Oh so my god! <laughs> yeah, so, so literally there is no <laughs> utopia. There is nothing. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it's not real. It will never be real in this kind of existence. So, and even uh, watching
0: a movie, it's really boring when it's a utopia. Oh yeah. yeah. There because, was this you know, movie I can't remember, like where it was like black and white, and uh, like they were all just living out the same day over and over again. It was like perfect, and there was no
1: yeah.
0: harmony and stuff. Just like, oh, okay, that's what it looks like.
1: No, I mean. It would be pretty boring if everything's perfect you know Mm. so uh yeah uh it's i think it would be better if if we say that uh we were born imperfect that we rise above our imperfections towards excellence
0: Mm, i like that nice yeah deep words thank you okay so wait question number two is what's Uh a deep dark desire that keeps you up at night
1: Oh my goodness! Uh, I'm I'm actually, uh, it's, it's, we're talking about uh, yeah. If we're pr- talking about fantasies in in you know stuff, uh, I have my weird weird fantasies, and here's one. Um, mm, okay, uh, are you familiar with the story of Pygmalion?
0: Yes, but yes. I, I'd love to uh, hear your version of it and to yeah yeah listeners hear it
1: actually, actually, i I saw this from from another movie, and it's it's kind of like the same kind of the same kind of um, deep, dark fantasy that, that that I've been thinking. It's like uh, mm-hmm. I'm writing something. I'm writing a story about a woman that that I fall in love with that woman in that story. And then suddenly, while I'm walking towards a place, I actually meet the woman that I'm writing about.
0: Oh, what movie is this? It's familiar.
1: Yeah, it, 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 I think it's... Um, it's I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I remember the title, but uh, it's, uh, it's really something that, that I've ta- uh, um, thought about. It's like I'm writing about a woman and then I meet her and then, oh my gosh, this person is real. Uh, this person is, is the one that I re- write about. This is yeah. the woman that is for me. right? Kind of like when Pygmalion creates a statue of a very beautiful woman and then he falls in love with the statues. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same in in a fiction kind of way. Right, and then you realize that um, that woman has a life of her own, and then I would just, you know, uh, let her be. Um, I guess in a way, it it speaks about a human <laughs> yeah. need for control.
0: I'm so confused. I know, I know. Like, I'm like, really, you're just gonna let her
1: go? No, it's not that I'm gonna let her go. It's it's me. Letting her have her own decision, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know, uh, in in a way, I think I see that this is like uh, a secret on uh, love or something. Uh, it's um, it's about letting letting people uh, have their own way to love you back, giving them that decision. Because in this kind of dark fantasy, it's like. I wanted to have control of this person for my mm. own benefit. but I see nothing wrong with this. <laughs> I, I, I know. In a yeah. way, it does. It does in a way. But you realize that uh, a person is a person. They think on their own. And when you accept them for who they are, uh, if you accept them for the kind of decisions that they make in their life, uh, you would see them not as something that you create, but as... Uh, a real life human being,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Uh, I mean, you and I—we we want control. That's that's life. Uh, that that's something that that we want to do. But we realize that uh, having full control of something, uh, we would want something that would have us have variety or something. Mm. Um, I'm going to look at uh, that film. I I guess the title of that uh, film is uh, Ruby Sparks. Right. Mm. Yeah. You so you should older. watch that.
0: I think I watched it. I'm gonna rewatch it.
1: Yeah. Um. You, there. We want to have control, but when we realize that um control actually control when control controls you you don't want to have that in your life
0: Mm. yeah and actually like the real like uh, i talk about this in i used to teach seduction and i talk about this a lot in jedi versus sith like yeah i'm supposedly a sith but there's a difference between the jedi and the sith is when you're afraid, that's the only time you need control. Like it's okay to want control or desire control or that's fun, but to give up control, that's a different path of its own. Like there are people who cannot let go of control and who cannot, you know, stand that... Like even if they're the best, most manipulative person in the world, if if you have an inability to let go of control, it's tied into fear somehow and real power real mastery is letting go of that like regardless
1: so yeah It, it it you know it kind of reminded me of there's this story about alexander the great and mm. he was traveling through India And then um, he got to talk to what, what they call the naked philosophers Or you know, uh, Indian mystics and all that And then he was, he was, he, uh, he was telling this um, uh, Indian guy, Indian philosopher guy That hey, I'm here to control everything So move out of the way And then this Indian guy says something like, you know uh, I have already um, overcome or mastered my need to control Or something like that So it's it's kind of deep Like you have to let go of something that you think is power mm. But you let it go to achieve something higher Something deeper And something that transcends beyond uh, the mere material power that is out there
0: mm. Yeah, absolutely. And true power is giving people choice like it's Agreed. very mercurial, like human beings are so mercurial, like we are. if marketers, we are. Like, if marketers and salespeople could have their way, we would just make them always choose the same thing. But at the same mm-hmm. time, giving people that power to choose like the blue pill or the red pill is uh-huh. beautiful in itself. Like it surprises and it's nice for us to be underceiving and to be like huh i didn't think they would choose that like even if you even if you kind of know where they're leaning towards it's still nice it still has that element of surprise that element of ooh, i wonder like even if you know you you know that they're leaning towards always like the side you want them to go to but like i wonder and even that tiny chance of them choosing differently makes you question Mm. why why that did they choose
1: true. differently? It's it's not nice. That is true, and, and you know so much of what we do is actually handling control and giving out the illusion of control, mm. right? So like, oh, when you read my copy, it's like uh, the reader will be like, oh, I'm I'm having a full control of my uh, my senses, but and I will choose this because that is my control. But right at the back end of it, the copywriter or the marketer has actually gotten the control of the reader so that is that is something that the real power like you said is us giving control yeah uh, letting people choose
0: yeah this was a, t- a topic i struggled with a lot like especially when i was first starting like as a marketer like two years ago Uh huh. i i do, i, I talked about this a lot in ken ken's group like if i was ever Mor- Morpheus in like Neo.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Both both of those pills, like the red pill and the blue pill, would be the same exact pill, just packaged differently, and you just have the illusion oh. of choice. But either one you choose is already a predetermined choice for you. And uh. the real trick is that you don't even have to choose at all. The real illusion uh. is there is a third choice that you don't even know about. And. Wow. Someone, someone like one of my mentors um, brought it up, like, why? Like, I, I just had an obsession almost with control. It's like, why? Why do that? And I was like, people can't make decisions for themselves. So if the ends justifies the means, like if
1: mm.
0: getting this course is going to make them have a Lamborghini, why don't we just force their decision? Like, why give them choice to begin with? Like, that's yeah. stupid. just give them the illusion of it. And if they're not smart <laughs> enough. They're not smart enough to study psychology and know that they're what's happening, that's on them. That's not our fault. Yeah. And like more and more recently, just giving that transparency and just allowing them to choose regardless. Even if they choose differently and they screw up their lives, like so what? <laughs> just like it's just not meant for them. Like they want a different flavor. They want a different path. There's no mm-hmm. right or wrong. There is always mm. multiple choices. And I started falling in love with like human beings in in that sense, like, ah, more things to learn. And never forcing them. Like, persuade the difference between persuasion and manipulation is one of them has an out. Like, for example, when you go to like watch a stage magician perform, you know that it's a stage, you know that it's stage magic, and you still are okay with. Going along with the performance, and that's what I do now. Like being a stage magician and making them realize that, hey guys, this is stage magic. I'm not actually performing real magic. And there's the difference. Like anytime you want to step out of the room, you can. You're allowed to. You're not here against your will. And I think we need more of that. Like just free will, choice, yeah. choice, you
1: know? uh, free will, and choice. Uh, that's actually what existentialism is talking about. Mm. So yeah. Uh, we we are, you know, people do not realize how powerful they are. And what gives them power is is not really the resources that they have, the state that they're in. It's choice. Mm. You know. So and expanding
0: uh, if, those options and those choices. Yeah.
1: We let people uh, know maybe you know that actually gave me an idea on a marketing hook. It's like uh, we give you back your choice. But right at the back of it. It's like okay, we're manipulating you because this is the choice that you need. To <laughs> yeah, but that's actually a good tagline. We give you back your choice, and your choice should be so and so product, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> We give you back your choice and your choice should be to choose, to choose again. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs)
0: God, we should be on Black Mirror.
1: (laughs) That's really, really interesting. Black Mirror. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's just more on a play of expanding choices and options and even not choosing is a choice. Making them aware of that, like you can choose not to choose, but it's better to choose. (laughs)
1: I mean it's it's a it's a power and it could be you can see it as either a power or a curse because Mm -hmm. right oh my god you if you look at it as a curse you'll be like oh my god I have to choose again I have to do this again I have to make another decision I don't want to make another decision but if you actually see choice as something empowering every choice that you make it is a way to validate your existence as a human being Mm
0: -hmm. I love that. Yeah, and we went really deep here. (laughs) Did we? (laughs) Yeah, marketers are probably like, oh my god, (laughs) they're opening the red velvet curtain and revealing secrets of age-old.
1: You know what? Maybe if marketers are listening to this, maybe you should we should put like a disclaimer. uh, (laughs) Best to listen if you took in some some THC or or ayahuasca or something like that, because you know it's coming with an open mind. And you know this is so tricky, (laughs) or something like that. We're gonna shatter
0: your realms, even though we're marketers ourselves. True, true. Uh, they're wrong. But yeah. Okay, so third and final question is what's a guilty uh-huh. pleasure? Oh yeah,
1: you, you know. Um you know, um I'm actually uh in terms of politics, I'm I'm what you call a cultural libertarian. I'm more on the conservative side. But I keep quiet. Uh, because, you know, okay. you, you, don't, you don't really want to voice out your opinion online about your politics, you know Here in the Philippines, you have your Dilawan and DDS uh, People who are against the Duterte administration and people who are for the Duterte administration uh, mm-hmm. For me, uh, I cannot ignore the fact that Duterte actually did something for our country It's not perfect, but he has done something for our country but, I cannot also ignore the fact that he is a very imperfect leader. Um, uh, I don't like some of his policies. I don't like what he, what he does sometimes. I don't like how such a potty mouth he can be when talking to people, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And that's one thing that people who are against him are like that. Do you want to support a president? They would be saying, do you want to support a president who who talks about rape, who talks about EJ case and stuff like that? So uh, you cannot point out your middle ground uh, online, right? Because Mm. if you say something favorable about the government, you're automatically branded as a DDS or a supporter of a government. If you say something against that, uh, you're autom- automatically branded as someone who does not support the government. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to lead to my guilty pleasure. My guilty pleasure mm-hmm. is actually looking at uh, political posts. And just, what? you know, yeah, really? I just look, I it just looks like ice I just, cream,
0: or like sugar desserts, political oh, yeah. posts is those are. At,
1: the, those are actually a guilty pleasure uh, as well. You know, eating sugar, uh, eating junk food. So, so me, it's yeah, is eating, all, e- eating all of those and actually looking at political posts. Wow. Right? Oh. It's like you, you, laugh, you laugh at the way that they think. You laugh at the way that they see themselves. They're so one-sided. They don't see the other side. I mean, like right now, when you go into Twitter, uh, people who oppose the government uh, who do not like the way the government does things, they block pro-government uh, Twitter users. And I find that hilarious. I
0: mean, why are hey, you blocking these people? Is it just the Philippine government, like Philippine politics, or are you also following the Trump administration? Like oh, that yeah, kind of I'm politics? also
1: following I'm also I'm following both sides, and I'm just like, oh my god, this this is actually fun. It used to be that I get infuriated by both sides, but right now, uh, I see them for who they are. I see them for like their own biases and like that for for like thinking that hey, I'm so much. When you look at both sides of the political spectrum, you you you, you think that oh my god, uh, they are so one-sided. They are so biased. That they actually do not agree they do not find they try to find a ground where they will fight right and for me that is a guilty pleasure I enjoy looking at them I don't participate in a conversation I don't participate on the debate I just look at them and have fun oh they're they're saying something mean but they don't really understand the situation they're very reactive on it um, hmm. They're saying something. You get to see these things. I mean, you and I, we both have training in persuasion, the hypnosis, and all of that. You actually get to see how people think. Um, Fun fact, um, did you know that a hypnotist actually predicted Trump winning the presidency?
0: hypnotist no but like the marketers were just like we already know what's gonna happen
1: yeah we already know but a hypnotist actually a predicted hypnotist. it his name is mm-hmm. his name is Scott Adams okay uh, he, 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 he's the one who created the Dilbert comics Oh yeah he, he's actually a trained hypnotist and because of his training as a hypnotist he actually got to see how Trump persuades people mm-hmm. right uh, you should read his book. It's about how Trump went won. It's called, Win Bigly mm, okay. it, It's a good book for copywriters to read too, to understand persuasion Win So for me, Bigly. Win Bigly So for mm-hmm. me, I mean, I, I refrain from talking about politics because, you know, I have friends on both sides of the political spectrum right? Mm-hmm. And uh, as a libertarian, uh, the root word of libertarian is liberty or freedom I want to believe. I want to live in, in in a way that I can do what I want in a reasonable way, and then get do business uh, in in a reasonable way. So I still favor what you call the free market, like free market economy, right? I do not like uh, leftist ideology. I do not mm-hmm. like communism. So w- when I see these people on both sides. Talking about supporting the government and and disavowing the government and all that Not just here in the Philippines but also in the US Mm. You see for yourself how human nature works So it it is a guilty pleasure to be sure But it's also a way for you to learn how humans think And uh, it's also a way for me to actually test my fortitude and my mindset Because if you are untrained in, in in your mind and in your mindset, when you look at a political post, you you get infuriated easily. Me? Yeah, I, I do get an inkling of being infuriated, but you realize that, hey, this isn't really something that I need to uh, that I need to get into. I can get yeah. away from that, right? So uh, yes, i I would still say that reading political posts, they are. A guilty pleasure of mine. Take note, just reading, not participating or debating or all, all that. You just read it. It's like, oh, okay, so that's how people think. Mm. While and eating in, junk food, <laughs> might I add? While <laughs>
0: eating junk food, sugar and ice cream. And in relation to persuasiveness, like, what's your take on Shapiro? Like, ah, uh, like I, I, uh, I enjoy watching and breaking down like what makes persuasive, and Shapiro is.
1: You mean like Ben Shapiro? Oh my gosh. He's really brilliant when it comes to that. I also watch him. Uh, I watch him more than I watch the liberal side. Uh, Mm -hmm. Him, uh, Ben Shapiro, uh, uh, Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan. When, When you listen to the way that they talk, when you listen to the way that they create an argument, and when you listen to the way that they dispel myths, it's like you're you're having a master class in persuasion
0: absolutely um, connecting it to yeah. the art of war like True. especially if you see what they're doing because it's invisible to most, but if you actually yes, pay it attention, is. it's like, wow, like just uh,
1: you, you know my favorite quote from Ben Shapiro, uh, facts don't care about your feelings." <laughs> That is such that is such um, mind blowing statement because when you look yeah that's why I, I again uh, reading political posts are a guilty pleasure because when you look at the way they write it it is so replete with emotion it is so replete with mm. with uh, feelings they mm. they sidestep the facts <laughs> they want to rile you up by getting emotional and it's on both sides. <laughs> I mean, Shapiro, um, liberals hate him, but they should study the way that he communicates and and mm. study the way that how he uh, looks at an argument and pieces it through. And it's the same with Jordan Peterson.
0: And how they rile up their their opponents—it's brilliant.
1: It is. It is.
0: It has nothing to do with the argument. Just like, ooh, is your emotions in check?
1: I know, I know. They do not. They do Especially not. Especially Peterson. To, yeah, they do not talk in a very emotional way, but they rile up their opponent <laughs> to talk about their feelings. I feel like this. I feel like that. I feel that this situation is unfair. But no, again, facts don't care about your feelings. Mm.
0: And the micro expressions, like if you watch their their body language and just all yeah. of it, it's it's masterclass
1: they're pretty chill right mm.
0: and when they make a sar, like <laughs> when they're picking yeah. on their opponents like they're smirking and it, it's it's annoying to the opponent but to them it's just like uh. what like i'm, I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying what the truth is and it's not necessarily always the truth sometimes it's just like a skewed truth or yeah. a skewed fact and it's like yeah it sounds so real
1: you know, um, Ben Shapiro. You 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 will have to consider Ben Shapiro a prodigy. He mm-hmm. he actually learned how to play the violin. He wrote his first book even before he was twenty. So there there's actually this video on YouTube where I watched him play uh, a viol- the violin, the soundtrack of Schindler's List. So it's like, wow, wow, this guy is amazing.
0: I did not know that about him, just the persuasion side, but to see him oh, have yeah. an artistic side. Like even Hitler, I was surprised that Hitler had an artistic side. He
1: did, he did, he did. I mean like, I mean, what if Hitler actually, he it always comes to artist. my mind, he, what if he, he actually became an artist instead of becoming a despot, right? Well, so,
0: people were like, came out of art school, so if they just accepted him, <laughs> it might have yeah, been right.
1: I know, I know. But yeah, the artists
0: have the weirdest, craziest visions and
1: it's... Artists have the weirdest, craziest vision. I like that. I like that. Um, uh, There's something that I say about society. Uh, Normalcy is not society's norm. Mm. And uh, uh, we as creatives, I would consider you a creative yourself. Mm. We as creatives we create something that goes beyond normalcy and then it becomes normal.
0: Mm. And guilty confession I actually started out uh, in film school like I took a semester and I was supposed to Whoa. be in that world. so literally a creative and then like my origin story I turned into marketer and then I realized, oh, actually. The two realms can interconnect and that's
1: what I do now.
0: Yeah, the creative stepping into other roles is really powerful and really different and just the ability of uh, how much you're able to pull from. So you as a copywriter, um, Mm -hmm. pulling from like existentialism, stoicism, not every copywriter has that background. It's beautiful in that way, like more and more what we're able to integrate into our art. And right mm-hmm. now, our art is copy, connecting, sales, and getting people to feel an emotion. So,
1: Yeah, that, that. is true.
0: Yeah, so is there any final quote you want to leave the listeners with? Or insight? Or um, question?
1: I guess it's for me to ask them that, no, know, uh, live your life. <laughs> um... A lot of people are, are stuck in their homes and, and I know it sounds kind of uh, like Condescending to tell them mm-hmm. to live their life in, in this in this kind of situation that we have We're stuck at home
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I think D- Duterte is uh, saying that there's a GCQ involved But we're, we're getting into a new normal And p- people will be asking Really? Seriously? You're telling us to live a life with a kind of situation that we have but, but the fact is life goes on living and uh when we have that situation that we have right now we need to find something that will help us live that mm. will help us transcend it I mean it's easy for me because I'm a single guy I live alone I, I don't And isn't have, it
0: better in Bajo like in terms of COVID and the situation how it's managed well, yeah. there?
1: Uh, our management is actually pretty good. Our mayor is pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. We're really blessed to have a mayor who knows how to handle and lead. But uh, you, you also have to take props on the people of Baguio. Uh, mm-hmm. A leader can only lead so much. But if those who are led are, are disobedient, are rebellious, it's not going to work. I mean... I know people from Manila will, will, will get really angry at me for saying this, but you know, you have your leaders. Uh, you have things that you can actually accomplish, but uh, people from Manila, they, they, they tend to um, complain about their situation. I, I don't blame them. Living in Manila, it, it's no walk in the park. Mm. Uh, it's not easy being in Manila. But if you compound all the complaints that, that they have, it's not really helping uh, a lot. Mm. Um, yeah, sure, you would have to. Com- I would I would be probably be complaining uh, about what's happening in Metro Manila. But, you know, if you actually look at a step back and see what's happening, uh, you can see that, you know, it can be changed when we uh, try to be proactive on on stuff. Mm, and, and be uh, the I guess, change
0: you wish to see in the world. So.
1: Yeah, something like that. And I guess uh, we are blessed. I mean, people in Baguio do not really complain a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. They're pretty chill. They're like the weather here. When you're in Baguio, Baguio people are pretty chill. Just yeah. like the weather. And I wouldn't blame uh, people in Manila complaining because, you know, you have the heat. You have the pollution. You have uh, the population density where you cannot really breathe with with, uh, where you are right now. So (laughs) if you're not living in a a place where it's comfortable, it really, really is uncomfortable.
0: Mm. And maybe there needs to be a marketing campaign that better speaks to the people. Like In Baguio, people um, relate their personality to the weather. Yeah. Is that actually the case? Or is that something that became like a cultural norm? Like, I'm cool, like the weather. Like, isn't that a marketing idea in and of itself? Like,
1: it I got is, really yeah.
0: curious. Like, everyone, you know, feels that way and just like more chill. And they've accepted and bought into that idea. And it's oh. nice. And like, hopefully other people in other cities can buy into that idea because you can buy into a destructive idea and you can buy into a constructive idea.
1: I like how you put it that way, that it's a marketing idea, that it it has become a culture here. Mm. Uh, Yeah, in a way that is. Um, When you actually look at at the indigenous people of Baguio, they're, uh, they're really not that flashy. Right, Because Mm -hmm. you know, when you go up in Baguio, you can buy (laughs) ukay-ukay, you can buy used clothes and stuff and then they wear it. They don't look that flashy but when you actually get to know people, you realize how deep they are uh, as Mm. individuals. So, so, yeah,
0: yeah. and you, as a, like me when I was in Baguio, whenever I'm in Baguio, you just relax because that's the marketing idea there. that's oh yeah, you, everyone else is doing this, and then you start to copy the cultural norm true. And true. that's why marketers are needed in this day and age, and copywriters are needed in this day and age. and you know?
1: oh, so it's it. like marketing to change the collective psyche.
0: you or can something like
1: that. Yeah, you
0: can. (laughs) I like that. And it goes back to psychology and linking that to like, ooh, okay, I've been playing in this realm. Can I play Uh. a bigger game? And yeah, how do you get to change a collective psyche that's been in place for generations upon generations? And if it's destructive, how do you turn it constructive? And that in itself can be a game. So imagine uh, all the marketers got together and they just thought of that.
1: <laughs>
0: Guys, marketers
1: changing you, the world. I like that. <laughs> how can we change the world? And
0: yeah, with great power comes great responsibility and you can you, like persuasion and print.
1: You, you know, called? I realize this because, you know, marketers actually work with perception. So mm. we change the world by changing perceptions. We mm. reframe a lot of things. So. No way! We can change the world that way. Hmm.
0: And with advertising, like Philippines is one of the few countries that I just see advertising everywhere, and people love advertising so much, like <laughs> the jingles, yeah. the advertisements. Just it's crazy. But it it's a cultural norm here, and changing perceptions is one way. Like if you want to change it a certain way, you have to rewire them and reframe them, and. Make them see that, okay, this is not working and connect to their hearts. And then once you connect to their hearts, uh-huh. you can change their behavior. So that's sure. something like start with your community. Start with the people around you. Start with like uh-huh. freelancing community, like the online people. And uh,
1: yeah, some, I, some I, like, I like that because, you know, people who want change, they want to change the outside world first but Mm. they haven't looked at changing themselves first. Kind of like what uh, Jordan Peterson says when he says, clean your room (laughs) and then Mm. uh, better not criticize the world until you uh, have achieved perfection in yourself or something like that. Because, you know, Mm. we have to look in ourselves first. We have to uh, find our balance within ourselves first before Mm. trying to balance the world. Uh, there's that biblical uh, verse. Uh, there's this Bible verse that says, uh, "Do not, uh, do not point out the speck on somebody's eye when you have a log in yours." Mm. Something like that.
0: Yeah, and like also playing into narratives. Like for example, if everyone in Manila, for example, read your copywriting book, "The Art of mm-hmm. War," and then they're like they fall in love with copywriting. But what if you could create like novels and stories that would make them fall in love with changing their perception for the better in a way that was mm. constructive through storytelling? Mm. And You're actually is-
1: getting what I wanted want to do as a as a fiction writer, as a novelist.
0: Yeah, because right now, like, yeah, we read Jose Rizal, we read certain books, we watch certain mm. things on TV, and that's Helps program us. Like one of the reasons Baguio is the way it is, also like mm-hmm. other provinces, is because they don't, they're not plugged in as much as the bigger cities are. It's not just the oh, new yeah. aspect of it, it's the program. sense of
1: isolation, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, when people are fearful, when they're afraid, it's easier for them to buy stuff, it's, it's easier for them to be controlled. And, uh uh-huh, you're acid. right making them realize that there's nothing to fear and just changing perception so that's a topic of its own but I yeah. know
1: I know <laughs> and we're getting so deep into a lot of things right
0: deep down the rabbit hole with Bo
1: and with Amira
0: <laughs> thank you so much for jumping on
1: Thank you to Amira. It has been a pleasure. Uh, I know that one of your taglines here is you try to violate their, uh, violate your guests' minds or something like I, that.
0: So, I think on in this episode we're violating the listeners' minds.
1: Yeah, in a way, but I don't see this as a violation because you know, it came with consent.
0: Mm, I'm really appreciative of you hopping on and <laughs> yeah, to future episodes.
1: To future episodes.